Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. I'm starting to think of the old James Taylor tune when I look at the news and having us pray about it. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen this week here on Mornings with Carmen. Good Monday morning. Yeah, the song, I've Seen Fire and I've Seen Rain is coming to mind. The fires, well, wildfires still in Canada causing issues. And also in Washington State leading to evacuations of some communities. The air quality in Seattle, not good. That's the fire. And, of course, you just heard in the news about the rain down in California as they're getting hit by what is the remains of track. Tropical Storm Hillary. Now, think about this. This is really weird for Southern Cal. The last time they got hit by a tropical storm, 1939, 84 years ago. Now, this morning, Hillary is dumping lots of rain, potentially years' worth of rain in some parts of not only California, but Nevada. And yet, and amid all this, down in California, yesterday... A 5.1 magnitude earthquake hits Ventura County, California. Thankfully, thankfully, no injuries reported. Um, I'm sure there's some minor damage, but be in prayer for the people of California, for Washington and other places, too. Even though it's Monday, I know you're probably in a mad dash, maybe getting your kids to school. Maybe for the first time this year, you're getting your kids to school or you're in a mad dash right now to get things ready for your kids school year or maybe with summer winding down you're in a dash to enjoy what you can before fall hits or maybe you're one of those who really likes fall you're looking forward to dashing out and getting your first pumpkin spice latte (sighs) maybe it's just you're in a dash trying to get to work and traffic's heavy and yeah you're stressed out there i just want to remind you that yes life is a dash This week, this past week, I should say, my family and I buried my brother Tom. The funeral was this past Friday, and uh, we laid him to rest next to my brother, Lorne, who died eight summers ago, and my parents. Now, Tom's grave marker was not in place yet, but my brothers and my parents were. My dad, Jerome, 1924-1996. Irma, 1930-2013. Lauren, too short, dash, well, actually, uh, 1968-2015. So much happens on that dash. As you look at that grave marker, my parents live, both lived through the Great Depression, World War II, the Cold War, the upheaval of the 60s, and so much more. They married on... June 1st, 1957. My dad was 32. My mom was 27. They still raised nine kids on the dairy farm in Minnesota. Not an easy life, but the life my dad loved. In fact, on the grave marker is the image of our old barn. 
that uh, right next to my dad's name, and praying hands next to my mom's name as she was often in prayer, especially in her later years for our family. Many grave markers have just that, the, you know, the name, the birth date, our birth year, dash, and the death year. Life boiled down to just a dash on a grave marker. On one level, that's sad because there's so much life. We grew up, we had jobs, we raised families, we volunteered in our churches, we, we volunteered at various community groups. We created. We played music, we built things, we gardened, we made videos, we, we created things. All that on the grave marker boils down to a dash. That's sad. And yet, at another level, it's so fitting because our life is a dash. Psalm 90, the Psalm of Moses, contemplates the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So he says, teach us the number of our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Our time is short. This past week, I got a bitter taste of that. My family's original nine kids were down to seven now as we gathered for my brother Tom's funeral. (laughs) Seeing my siblings and me, oh, we have aged. We have raised families, and some of our kids are raising families now. This Sunday, I turned 57. (laughs) Time is fleeting. So help us count our days. You know, it also helps to reflect on a life lived. And I hope you don't mind that when we continue here on Mornings with Carmen, I want to do just that. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Hey, Mary, thanks for texting in 877-933-2484. She lives over towards Spokane, Washington. She said, yes, our air quality hit a record high over 500 Over the weekend, because we're so close to the fires, thankfully rain has dropped that air quality index down to about 200. So, yeah, that's definitely better. You know, life rarely goes as planned. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen, and I think about that as I think about George Bailey. Remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, I'm getting ahead of ourselves because we haven't even gotten through back-to-school season. I'm already thinking Christmas. But I love the movie. And it's interesting to watch it because George Bailey, he was a young, brash man. He had dreams to see the world, to become an architect, build tall skyscrapers. I'm trying to do Jimmy Stewart here, not too well. He had plans, though. He had big plans. But no. My brother Tom had plans. As I mentioned, my brother passed away about a week and a half ago. The death certificate said he died of natural causes. He died alone at his home. When it happened, in some ways, I I, I wasn't surprised. He had some underlying health issues that he had been battling with for many years. And Tom's life, to me it seemed at times, was largely sad. I felt that until going in. I felt that going into this past week. And it was sad because Tom was always the most outgoing, most extroverted one of the you know, of my siblings and myself. (laughs) Tom loved drama. He loved music. He danced. He also loved agriculture. He loved showing animals at the county fair through 4-H. He even went to state fair a few times. Now, I went once. Uh, He got to do it more than once. He had a fun time. In high school, he loved to be in plays. 
He never got the big parts, but he loved being in them. He was in band. He was in choir. Oh, he would drive us nuts because he, Tom, was a disco fan. Oh, the rest of us hated disco. We, we wanted rock. He wanted disco. <sighs> okay, back to his love of agriculture and 4-H. After high school, he went to college in hopes of being a county extension agent. Studied hard. That hope never panned out for him. I remember him being quite brokenhearted over this. He had to get a job somewhere, and so he worked for several years at a farm supply store in our, near our hometown. He later went to work for Walmart, where he spent a good chunk of his professional career. Nothing like what he dreamed of as a youth. Hope stashed. He also, for a variety of reasons, never got married. He was a bachelor all his life. As I said, I thought his life was kind of sad. I was wrong. (laughs) Okay, don't get me wrong. A lot of sad points. We all have those. No question. But he had, in other ways, found a way to find fullness in life. Let me give you some examples. I mentioned that he loved singing. And he shared that in many ways. He would lead worship at his home church, plus also visit other churches and do the same throughout the area. He looked forward to the Christmas season because, yes, he would volunteer as a bell ringer for the Salvation Army. And not just ring the bell, he would be outside the grocery store in our hometown singing carols as people walked by, putting the smile on so many faces. He's a big fan of karaoke, did that. He also did some DJing for a local local tavern that had that. He just had fun. Tom also, and it's kind of good he didn't become that extension agent, because my great Aunt Marguerite, who lived to be 102, she was still living at home and just needed somebody to be a caregiver. So he became that caregiver for the last several years of her life. And she shared with him a love for family history and genealogy, something he loved very much. Most of those caretaker years, Tom lived in her home. But the last few years of Marguerite's life, she became so frail that she moved into a nursing facility. Tom would visit daily to make sure Marguerite was doing well. (laughs) Not only that, again, as Tom continued working Walmart, He moved one close to our home, and, oh, I should back up. I didn't finish talking about Marguerite, because he he would visit the the nursing home daily, and he would develop relationships with some of the other residents, and he would enjoy sharing his joy of singing with them, and he'd also ended up leading activities like bingo, doing that almost weekly. Even after Marguerite passed away in 1998, he continued to weekly lead bingo in their nursing home because he just poured into these, these lives. He valued them. Okay, back to his work at Walmart. <laughs> Not exactly what a lot of people consider the job, but and he moved to the Walmart that was in our hometown when they opened one up. But he got known by many people there. They loved him. He just became a fixture there. People loved hearing him laugh from several aisles away. Yeah, He had a job there. That wasn't his career. His career was, well, bringing joy to people, number one. But also his career was in public service. He was a longtime member of the JCs. He served several years on the city council. He was very active in local political happenings. 
Tom served faithfully in his church. He was giving of his time with so many people he met. Now, as I mentioned, uh, he was single all his life. Maybe not considered a gift, but it was a gift. It wasn't the most enjoyable thing for him, but he used the fact of his singleness to be a blessing to other people. It freed him up to do so much. From the people I met who came to the wake and funeral telling me their Tom stories, I couldn't help but think again about George Bailey from the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Like George, Tom, Tom's early hopes and plans never panned out. But in his sacrifice for others, for his family, his friends, and the community, sharing the gifts he was given, Tom, like George, did have a wonderful life. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. I was never big into the art of Vincent Van Gogh. That is until I was immersed in it. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen. Yeah, she's off this week. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. And a a couple of years ago, even amid COVID, as some things got reopened, my wife and I were gifted with a pair of tickets to go see a Van Gogh immersive experience. No, not just an art gallery with his paintings hanging on the wall. This This immersive experience had these two rooms with elaborate projection systems that showed The art of Van Gogh, not just statically, but it was animated with light and music. and It it was amazing. It was amazing. Now, I've read about Van Gogh, his life, his work. But being immersed in it, I got a deeper appreciation for his brilliance, his pain, and the triumph of his artistry. Well, a few weeks ago, I saw an article at Evangelical Focus about a church in Berlin, Germany, Passion Church, which is a beautiful cathedral. It's beautiful by itself, but they're having an immersive experience that using light projections onto the ceiling and music and such, it seeks to take you back to immerse you in the first three days of the Genesis creation account. Now, you can go on YouTube and watch a teaser video of it. It is amazing. And it has drawn lots of people to the church. Um, Now, if you're hoping to see it, well, you'd have to fly over there pretty quickly because it wraps up this coming Monday. Although there's talk about it being redone in other venues around the world, which would be amazing, an amazing undertaking because it is customized to that building. So they'd have to redo all that. But as we think about this, I, I got to thinking about, yeah, I love the idea of immersive experience of God's created uh, God's creation to see how, as we best can artistically represent how God, the master artist, beautifully created the world. But what about God's work now of redeeming and restoring a broken world, his beautiful recreation project? Isn't that what we're to be as churches? Our churches, as, as the church collectively, yes, as families, as communities of faith, whenever we're gathered, 
and other people come into our presence, or even just in our own presence, are we immersing others in God's love? Do they not just hear us talk about God's love, teach about God's love, but are actively seeing a demonstration within our families and our fellowships? They see it us loving each other well, people outside, and then they see us loving them well. Are they immersed in that? Do they not just see and read about the truth of God's ways, but in us see it valued and lived out in authentic and tangible ways? Do they see us living out truth graciously, which can be difficult to a world that's so used to a, the fallen way of doing things, and when truth is lived out, it can seem jarring. But then to see, be immersed in it, in, a, in, in an atmosphere of grace can be draw-jopping and droppingly inspiring. Do they sense? Do they, are they immersed in seeing people happy and blessed to live out the Beatitudes Jesus talked about? Do they sense love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? The fruit of the Spirit that, uh, which is really, you know, Jesus' way. Yes, we talk about being the fruit of the Spirit, but the Spirit of Jesus in us and of this restored humanity, to see that. Do they see us doing this in all our engagements outside of our church and our home walls? As we talked earlier today with Dave Buring from LineShare about this, especially as it applies to the workplace. One of the reasons that the church grew as it did in the Roman Empire is, as much as they were appalled by this new religion, they also saw something beautiful in the way Christians lived differently, loved differently, more fully, that when children were abandoned, for example, it was the Christians who were adopting these children. When a city was infested with a plague, instead of running out of the city, the Christians were the ones running in to help those afflicted. Even though small in number, <laughs> they did an immersive experience in the world showing God's redeeming grace. I'm hoping we can be that immersive experience that the world needs. This is Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Okay, I mentioned I was going to have a birthday this coming Sunday. Well, my birthday's nothing like that of Elizabeth recently. I'm Paul, filling in for Carmen on Faith Radio. This Texas woman just celebrated her 114th birthday with her family, crediting God with her long life. Oldest person alive in Texas, Elizabeth Francis, born in 1909 during the presidency of William Howard Taft. I forgot there was a William Howard Taft president. Anyway, but she says, I thank God. I'm, I'm just thankful the good Lord to the good Lord for keeping me going. So I want to think about this, though. Think about Elizabeth, born in 2000, or rather 1909. Let's, let's think about it. Let's just assume, for the sake of argument, because I didn't read the full article, that she went to college after graduating high school. She would have turned 18 in 1927. She would have been unlike her parents' generation in so many ways. World War II started when she was five, ended when she was nine. She was born after the turn of the century. There was this kind of this worldview at that time, just this general sense, oh, humanity's getting better, you know, the war to end all wars. We're leaving all that darkness and barbarity behind and all that. <sighs> yeah, that didn't work out so well. Her, uh, in her tween and teen years, she would have been living through the roaring 20s. Lots of talk of prosperity. Her family may have gotten their first car while she was growing up. Think about this. There were, yeah, there were, were several 
horseless carriages for years, but the Model T came out in October of of uh, 1908, just before she was born. So, you know, the Tin Lizzie became that first popular consumer-level car. Um, she may have gotten electricity when she was growing up in their family home. Maybe she started listening to the radio because you need electricity for that. And, you know, KDKA, the first commercial radio station, started in 1920. And so radio became hugely popular during her teen years. She might have seen some movies growing up. They would have been silent movies. The first talkie, the jazz singer, came out in 1927, just as she was graduating, maybe going off to college. So... When we look at today's 18-year-olds, many of whom are heading off to trade school or college this fall, they're like any other generation that was before. So how are colleges getting ready for these new students? How are we getting ready for this next generation coming into adulthood? We're going to talk about that with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek, president of the University of Northwestern, in just three minutes here on Faith Radio. So are your kids heading off to college for the first time this fall? Maybe to the University of Northwestern, which is the parent organization of Faith Radio. Joining me now, I'm Paul, by the way. Joining me now is Corbin Hornbeek, our current president of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And thinking about these kids, Corbin, it's a, this is a big week because the freshmen come this Friday, right? They are back. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, this Friday is move-in day. Move-in day. Um, so move-in day is the best day of the year. I, I love it. I mean, and when I meet uh, uh, incoming freshmen and their families, mm-hmm. there are two groups. Um, there are two groups of students, and and one group, the first group, they look terrified. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They just have this look on their face, like you're in the headlights. Yeah. Well, this seemed fun like a year ago when we were going through the application process, and now all of a sudden I'm leaving home, and it's it's a terrifying feeling. Reality and the is. others can't wait to get away from their parents. So, they're, you know, they're they're <laughs> wanting to do the whole thing by themselves, and they're saying goodbye to their parents before their parents are ready to say goodbye. Say goodbye. Yeah, so, exactly. So. I, I love how I, I, I was talking about this with Adam Carrington, who teaches at Hillsdale last yeah. hour, and you know the 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 weekend you know, where you have uh, the freshmen come in and all the different things, the different ceremonies and activities you have. And, yeah. And then the separate, you know, the parents yeah. saying goodbye to the parents, and it's oh. it's quite. I love the fact when they're coming on campus, all the the, the youth leaders out there, the student leaders yeah. with the horns and everything, oh, just cheering them in. So, so I I remember. I'll just tell a quick story here. When when our first, who is our, our oldest, uh, who is now twenty six years old, so this was you know uh, eight years ago or so, and. We were living in California at the time. He was going to college where I was working. So mm-hmm. we weren't, we were saying goodbye, but we weren't leaving right. and going 1,500 miles back home. Right. And uh, as we said our goodbyes, moved him into his dorm and said our goodbyes, we, we held hands as a family, we, we prayed, and the tears <laughs> were just rolling down. And I thought, I'm going to see him on Monday morning. <laughs> And that's that's kind of how it was for us. So it's not so much even for some families the distance as much as it is the change. Yeah. It's a change of life. It's a change for the families and the parents. It's a change for kids. So even if you you still live five miles away from where your son or daughter is going to college, uh, it's a change. Yeah. Change now. What is yeah. the only constant in life? That's right. Change. change. That's right. <laughs> I was walking through an airport one time, and there was a tip jar and said, if you don't like change, leave it here. <laughs> Well, we want to talk about change in this new generation of kids. Now, it's really a continuation of what has been part of Gen Z. They are so different from previous generations in so many ways. I just came up with, and now every year, Marist 
college in, yep. in, in, in Wisconsin comes uh-huh. out with their mindset list. They haven't come out with this year's, but I was thinking of, okay, let's look at these, th- these young people. Born roughly... 2005. 2005. So, yeah. so by the time they were two years old, the iPhone was, re- was released. Yep. A year later, the first Android phone was released. I mean, wow. yeah, there were cell phones before that, but all of a sudden, internet it, on your phone. It, 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 it's crazy. Crazy. And, and think about this. this. This generation that's starting college today, they were not alive when 9-11 happened. Yeah. Uh, think about some of the major things that have not happened even in the world the uh, that they know as written history but didn't experience it. No, mind you, they didn't notice the aftermath of 9-11 because exactly. we were, up until two years ago, involved in places like Iraq and, and Afghanistan. Exactly. Now that, right. that's been most of their lives. They've, yeah. That's all they've known. Let's go back to the technology front. I mean, the explosion of social media apps. Yeah. Um, chat GPT. <laughs> we could talk a long time <laughs> on just that, but the reality is that's only been out since last November. Right. And it's already affecting how teachers are having to teach. It absolutely does. In fact, I was at a faculty retreat uh, last, not a faculty retreat, but a faculty meeting last year, last spring. And one of our faculty here at the University of Northwestern, um, uh, just as an exercise to understand the capacity of ChatGPT, asked ChatGPT to write a a paper, five-page paper or so, on an incredibly obscure Mm -hmm. book, uh, an an incredibly obscure passage within that book, um, and within moments, uh, Chat GPT had produced uh, what she said was about a B plus A minus paper mm. with citations um, uh, and, and everything that comes with that. So, does that change the world we live in? Does that change the world of, of higher education in particular? How do students engage with AI mm-hmm. and things like Chat GPT in a way that uh, doesn't erode uh, the whole purpose of education, which is right. to come and learn and mm-hmm. grow? So, yes, Trans- <laughs> transformational. And that was only less than a year ago, less, less than a year ago. Yeah. Let's look at some other things about them uh, from the world of entertainment. Um, Iron Man, the first of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that came out in 2008. They've lived and breathed the modern superhero genre <laughs> since, you know, since they were little kids. Exactly. Uh, music, Taylor Swift, enough said. Um, the rise of streaming on demand yeah. viewing. I mean, for, you used to get some on-demand through cable. That that's right. that was the old style. But now it's like, oh, what do I want to watch? Well, let's binge watch, binge watch a whole series of this or whatever. There, there's no waiting. I mean, think about it when we grew up, Corbin, when we wanted to, uh, okay, we're watching Star Trek Next Generation, and there was the cliffhanger of this end of the se- season. You had to wait until the next season. <laughs> until the next season, yeah. No, 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 no. 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 Uh, in fact, I was in a movie theater recently, and in order to attract people back to the actual silver screen, the big, big movie theaters, um, they're replaying some of the greats from the '80s to, to get people <laughs> like know. you and me, yeah, back to relive our glory days. You know, back in back in the '80s when movies were great. You built a yeah. time machine out of a DeLorean. <laughs> That's right. Who does that? Who does that? Why not? Great <laughs> Scott. Anyway. Okay, so you have that going on. Yeah. Uh, let's think of social, their issues. I mean, their entire lives, like we mentioned, we've been involved in Middle East. Yeah. 2015, when they t- were 10 years old, Obergefell happened, and the world of human sexuality, and we're still yeah. feeling the reeling of that, has yeah. been changed. This one really jumped out at me, though. Mental health. Now, mm. From 2008 to 2019, the percentage of adolescents 12 through 17 with major depressive episodes mm. within a, you know, the past 12 months jumped 
from 37.7 to 43.3 percent, and it's only getting worse. That was 2009. Those last numbers. I was uh, having a conversation with one of our uh, counselors on campus uh, this past Friday uh, who mentioned to me that this is looking at the national across the spectrum nationally. Uh, over 25% of students who are coming into colleges and universities today uh, are on some medication for mm. some level of mental health uh, issues. So it is a, it is a dramatic um, – it's a, it's a significant issue how we manage mental health uh, challenges – uh, the COVID pandemic mm. and the impacts of, of COVID on, uh, on isolation of young people, um, social dislocation, things like that um, uh, exacerbated that in an incredible way. So we, it's almost like we have to teach um, students who are coming back into schools, uh, not so much today as we did a couple of years ago or last year, but uh, we had to teach them how to how to socially connect with each other again, that it was okay to touch each other. It was okay to give each other a hug. It was okay to stand uh, closer than six feet apart. Uh, So those are some of the things that really uh, have tipped the scales on the mental health issue that, uh, that impact young people. Those are the kinds of things that they've grown up in. Boy, we could ask a lot of questions there about how as a campus you handle that. I mean, you have, Mental health and medical professionals I know on campus yeah. as well yeah. to guide that. Yeah. It's amazing what they've been through. Yeah, it really is. It- and, and yet, Corbin, and again, we're talking with Corbin Hornbeek, president of the University of Northwestern, our parent organization here at Faith Radio. As we look at this new generation coming in, I thought, okay, to help understand them and what you're seeing in this, because even with all that they've been through and you know, we're being the older generation. You right. seem really excited about these, this generation. Um, I am absolutely incredibly excited <laughs> about this generation. If I wasn't, um, you might suggest I need to go find uh, a different work job. elsewhere, <laughs> a different job. Um, They're hiring at Walmart. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, you know, this generation is, um, and we have kids in our 20s. All three yeah. of our kids are in their 20s. So we're living it as parents, as much as we are living it uh, on campus at the Mm -hmm. University of Northwestern. Um, This generation is um, enthusiastic. They have a lot of questions. Um, They think they know more than they do. They think that everything that they've learned on the internet is actually true. Um, But here's something that, um, you know, so there's a a lot of correction that needs to come along with that, but they are energetic. Um, They believe absolutely without a shadow of a doubt that they can make a difference mm-hmm. in this world. And that's probably, when you're thinking of the, the, the energy that drives young people, it may be um, undirected energy. It may be uncorralled. Um, there's a lot of learning and, and channeling of that energy that needs to come along. But boy, it, this generation believes that they were placed here on earth uh, to make a difference. And that is... Uh, what makes coming onto this campus uh, so exciting every day because we have the opportunity to tap into that and channel that with a Christian and biblical worldview. I want, to, I want us to talk more about this new generation, why they excite you, and what you see the challenges are, and we'll continue this conversation with Dr. Corbin Hornbeek from the University of Northwestern in just a moment. This is Faith Radio. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at myfaithradio.com. New college year getting underway, new freshmen. Are you excited about the next generation? 
Maybe you should be. Hey, I'm Paul, talking with Corbin Hornbeek here on Faith Radio as we continue our conversation. Uh, Corbin is the president of the University of Northwestern, and new students are coming on campus this week. And Corbin, I thought, okay, to really boil it down, you've heard of SWOT analysis, right? You bet. When you look at something, a lot of organizations do it. What's the strengths? What's the weaknesses? What are the opportunities? What are the threats? Let's talk about, let's do a SWOT analysis of how you see this next generation. I think you already hinted at one thing in the strengths. Yeah. They want to change the world. They do. They want to absolutely change the world. Um, uh, They're incredibly entrepreneurial. Mm. So that changes something as we think about even companies and businesses recruiting young people. I mean, there are young people that think, I don't even need to go to college. I can just start my own business. So there's a huge... um, sense of entrepreneurial enthusiasm and excitement. Um, They believe that they can not only change the world, but they can do it on their phone. Uh, And so (laughs) the idea of of, uh, what is the value of college? Why do I need to go to college to learn how to actually think and and understand the world in which I live? Um, That's a strength. It's also a weakness. And oftentimes we find that it goes in both categories. Exactly. What are some of the other strengths you're seeing, though? Uh, You know, I'm going to speak... Um, as the president of uh, University of Northwestern St. Paul, uh, and I, I can speak to students across uh, the country, but I'm going to speak to the students that are coming into our university um, because I live with them every day. Mm-hmm. I was with a group of about 140 of our campus leaders last week as they were preparing for their campus leadership uh, responsibilities across campus. So some of them are RAs, some of them work in chapel programs, some of them work uh, in, in just in different offices and, and um, places across campus. These students are passionate about their relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that gives me an incredible sense of opportunity and hope. Uh, not just passionate about their relationship with Jesus, but passionate about uh, the scriptures, passionate about understanding their lives in light of the design that God has placed on them, uh, where we see an incredible dislocation of a lot of young people across the world, yeah. the sense of a transcendent God being absent from their lives, and so they have to construct uh, their own lives, and that creates an incredible amount of anxiety mm-hmm. um, uh, and mental health issues, as we were talking about before. Uh, the students that I see at the University of Northwestern, Paul, are are connected to the understanding that there is a God who designed them, who created them, and has given them an incredible sense of purpose. I love that about uh, our students, and I think uh, it's uh, Christian students across America today. You know, I, I keep thinking back to like the 1940s and early 50s, the group of college students, Christian college students going through, and there was such missionary passion in that time frame. And even look at, okay, Faith Radio, it was students donating money to help get the equipment and the tower up so Faith Radio and the rest of Northwestern Media could be there. Yeah. There, I, it's nice seeing a similar passion in the modern day. It is. So, And, and think about, just say one more thing quickly here. Think about, <clears throat> I know our students live in a media-saturated world. True. And so just as Billy Graham had a vision to launch all of this, mm-hmm. uh, Northwestern, what is now Northwestern Media, um, the, the opportunity that we have as a Christian university and a Christian uh, media enterprise to shape and influence the world, to be able to tap into that excitement and enthusiasm that our students have uh, for the evangelism of the world and the discipleship of the world um, leveraged through Northwestern Media, 
uh, is really quite something to think about. It is awesome. Okay, let's move from strengths to weaknesses. We already mentioned one because, how'd you phrase it? I mean, the strength, the thing that was strong about them, their passion to change the world also could be a weakness. It it is a weakness because um, it is oftentimes unchanneled. Um, and the other weakness is just really the world that they uh, that they have grown up in. Uh, they've grown up in a world, um, whether something is explicitly said or not, they've grown up in a world um, where truth is relative. Mm. And so that, of course, has infiltrated our churches. It's infiltrated the way that we think about our relationship with God. Um, they're very autonomous. Yeah. Uh, and that would be the word that I think that would describe this young generation. They believe they can change the world, and they think they can do it on their own. And in five minutes or less. In five minutes or less on their phone. And so that is a wonderful uh, sense of energy to tap into, but it, it creates some real potential landmines. And that's where we come in as a Christian university to help really guide that and direct that and channel that. Any other weaknesses you see that... Um... Um, I, I think, um, you know, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a weakness in the sense of, um, again, I'm going to relate it to some of the broad social things that uh, young people are growing up with. Um, isolation. Uh, and I mentioned that autonomous a moment ago, but isolation is a real problem. Um, there are so many ways to engage with the world uh, if you're an t- 18-year-old. There's so many ways to engage with the world on your own. And I think it's one of the, um, the, the aspects of what we talk about is building Christ-centered, God-honoring community. Right. Helping students learn to live in intimate um, intentional life-on-life relationships with each other and with other people. Uh, but the world offers them a lot of ways out of that. And it's hard work. It's hard work building relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't just do it in a virtual world. No, you can't. Okay, let's switch to opportunities and threats. First, the opportunity, as I always do the SWOT analysis. Yeah. What opportunities do you see for these young people? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the opportunities are uh, honestly endless. And so <laughs> this is a, a crazy world that we live in where, where strengths are also weaknesses and threats are also opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that some of the opportunities uh, created by technology, we have concerns about technology. Yep. Uh, we have concerns of the degree to which technology runs our lives and coordinates and uh, our relationships. Um, and yet this generation, um, they've grown up. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, they have grown up uh, on their iPhones and their Androids. They've grown up in the world of social media. They know how to use it. They know how to access it. They know how to leverage it. Um, and I think that cre- offers us, um, even as educators, as Christian educators, an incredible opportunity to to channel that energy, um, help young people see the ways in which they can um, address some of the most pressing needs of the world uh, through their use of technology. And let's take advantage of it. Um, it. Sure, there are things that we need to be concerned about and cautious about, but let's take advantage of it and tap into what they already know. Okay, let's go to the last thing, the threats. Because yeah. there are many that these kids face. I mean, yeah. you already mentioned the strength about their connectivity and their ability to yeah. use internet, social media, all yeah. that is both a strength. It's yeah. also an opportunity, <laughs> but it's also a weakness or a yeah. threat. Yeah. So we were talking earlier about things like chat, GPT, and, and AI. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, again, there's, there's some incredible opportunities with that. As it co- relates to learning, um, our hope, my hope, 
um, as a as a president of a Christian university, an evangelical Christian university, um, the most important thing we can do is help young people understand that the whole of their life um, is designed to be directed toward God. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy in this world for um, all kinds of things to take the place of God. Um, we don't, in a, in a very tangible sense, we don't need God the way we might have needed him centuries ago. Um, uh, we can solve a lot of our problems. We can address a lot of our needs apart from uh, reliance, uh, daily reliance upon God. And what that means, it takes us very quickly into a place where, um, where we don't see ourselves necessarily as being created by God. We get mm. to create our own identity. We get to create our own meaning in life. Uh, so that's, I think, one of uh, the things that we have to really be concerned about. You know, I've been thinking, hearing from a lot of different voices when it comes to the whole identity issue. Yeah. And it's not just the issue of the sexual identity, but just identity creation. And yeah. people don't understand you receive part of your identity yeah. because of relationships. And that's where you get back to what you were talking about earlier with you're trying to help them develop community because yeah. then they really get to know who they are. That's right. So when you live, when you live in community where people speak into your life, um, where people identify things and areas of growth, uh, when you have faculty and staff and other leaders and other students who are speaking into your life, um, that's when you become so much more aware of, uh, I, I think, of, of, of um, growth happens in that intersection of grace and truth. Mm. Um, so true. So true. Hey, Corbin, thanks again. Thank we you. We love our monthly visits with you here oh, on Mornings with Thank you so much, Carmen. Paul. Even though Carmen wasn't here today, I'm sure she would you have know, fun, I, 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 I enjoy it. Say hi to her. I can't believe that we actually gave her some vacation and some time <laughs> off. <laughs> she needed it. Don't That's worry. That's right. Absolutely. Anyway. Thank you, Paul. You are welcome. This is Faith Radio. Well, again, thank you for joining me. I'm Paul. I've been filling in for Carmen. We'll be all this week here on Faith Radio. Now, just a reminder, if you haven't done so yet, go to MyFaithRadio.com. How do you know you're hearing the voice of God? Is feeling good the same as feeling God? Is there anything you can do when God seems silent? And there's many times he has seemed silent to me. Yeah, there's nothing like feeling the presence of God, but it's not always easy to experience it. That's why Susie Larson, and maybe you heard Carmen and Susie talking about it on Friday. Susie has a brand new book out, Close, Closer Than Your Next Breath, Where Is God When You Need Him Most? Now, Thanks to W Publishing, we have like, you know, 100 copies we're giving away. And we'd like to get one in your hands. So that's why we're asking you to go to MyFaithRadio.com and enter the drawing. Maybe you'll get one of those copies. Again, of Closer Than Your Next Breath, the latest book by our good friend Susie Larson, who comes up afternoons here on Faith Radio. Again, I'm Paul. And remember, this program and all your Faith Radio original shows, you can find the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com, on the Faith Radio app, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.